When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. It's Drags, and it's Wednesday, December 5th, and it's time for episode 274 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS. So much has been written and said about the Patriots dynasty and its sublime and sometimes ridiculous relationship with the other 31 NFL teams. But I welcome today someone who has written a book that takes us inside the last five years of not only the Patriots, but the NFL better than anybody else. It's a thrill to welcome Mark Leibovich, author of Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times. Mark is a chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine. He is also the recipient of the National Magazine Award for profi- Profile Writing. Welcome, Mark. Trags, good to be with you. It is. Sorry, uh, it took so long. It took so long. It took um, until episode number two hundred and seventy-four. I was hoping to get on sooner. Better late but. than never. So I have to ask this. I, I'm curious. Every time a book is written, why the title and why so dangerous? Oh. Uh, wait, so you ask every time. Okay, so basically, uh, why the title? Short answer, um, that's what the publisher wanted. It was his idea. Um, no, I, I mean, I, I figured, uh, I mean, he, it sounded, sort of sounded catchy. It sounded kind of punchy. And as far as the subtitle, The NFL in Dangerous Times, I mean, I, I thought, uh, I mean, that was, that was my, um, invention. Basically, I, I capture, the league at a, at a moment when it seemed to be just mixing just unprecedented popularity and, and profitability, but also it just seemed so precarious at the same time. I mean, they they are always dealing with some crisis, um, you know, many, many, many times a self-inflicted crisis or self-exacerbating crisis. And, um, you know, and yet the league just keeps humming right along. And, and I don't think there's anything people care more about than the fortunes of their own team. So, um, I mean, that's sort of where the league is today. But I think that, you know, as we've seen with a number of events over the years, uh, there, there's any number of things that can, can really upset the apple cart. And uh, we'll see where we are in 20 years. Background on you, Mark. Uh, you are a lifelong Patriots fan. Um, I am. Relatively... Um, private Patriots fan, uh, I guess, early on in, in your life. Is that, is that accurate? Not in my life. I mean, I, I lived in New England, so, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, it was, I, people knew. I mean, I, I yeah. was a Pats fan like everyone up there. I grew up in Newton, Mass., and I was, um, yeah, but then I, I lived in Boston in my early 20s, but uh, since, I guess, 1993, 
four. Uh, I haven't lived there, but um, yeah, no. I mean, I've always been fairly proud about it. I think um, there there is some resentment around um, the country for the Pats, um, you know, you largely think? because of I think the team's success, and some of it's you know just sports fans trolling each other. But yeah, yeah but I, I'm not one of these. I, I don't want to be like an arrogant. Um, I, I want to be good for the brand. I want to I want to show the flag with with grace and and respect. And besides, you know, we're awesome. We win every year. So. Um, you know, I, I say the relatively private part because, you know, the press release says you kept your passion as a lifelong Patriots fan relatively private. I'm all, I always wonder, right. you know, when, when the, you know, the publisher is trying to do its fair share and kind of yeah, prop yeah, it up yeah. a little bit. And, and, and I read that and yeah. I'm like, hmm, really? Because being, like you said, <laughs> being a Patriots fan is hardly a private endeavor. No, it isn't. Although it is tough living outside of town sometimes, especially when you live in a city that has a uh, you know long-suffering NFL team. And you know, I live in Washington now. So, um, look, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of you know fans are just sort of sick of hearing from us. But I think, yeah, I mean, I, I would long. I, I mean, I keep it quiet. And that look, it's not my it's not my day job. I mean, I'm not right. a not a sports writer, and it's not my job to. Or at least until the last uh, several months, it hasn't been my job to you know talk about sports in any public context. But um, yeah, so this is now part of my identity, kind of like um, I don't know, I guess being bald, being uh, being <laughs> any number of things that you can sort of like snap onto my identity. That's that's part of it now. But yeah, no, I, I but I wear it proud when I can. So um, you, you mentioned that this isn't your day job. Your day job is uh, covering. Um, I guess, uh, Washington politics. politics. Right. Yep. Um, and yeah. it's, it's fascinating to me how the two, and you mentioned this in the book, obviously, um, yeah. how the two are married together to a large extent. Yeah, that, I mean, that wasn't the plan. I mean, the original plan was just to take a break from politics for a while and focus on, um, you know, a whole other reality show, which would be the, uh, the NFL. And, um, you know, it, it became pretty clear pretty early on that there was no escape from, from politics anywhere, especially right. given Donald Trump's, um, kind of, you know, be- belly flop into the pool. And, um, then you know his long-standing interest in football and and his jumping into the national anthem uh, controversy and and so forth. So yeah, I mean I think a, a good portion of the narrative of the book was to um, just all distractions around politics. You know, mostly last year, but I think it's sort of with us for a while. And uh, you know, I, I spoke to uh, a couple of other uh, people who have written books, and and they both mm-hmm. mentioned you know obviously. Um, Donald Trump and and the impact he has had um, right. on the most important, most powerful, um, you know, league in arguably the world, uh, athletic league right. in the world. And um, sure. you you also mention it. And uh, you know, it's hard to imagine him not being somewhat uh, forlorn, jealous, whatever. Of not being yeah. able to get into the membership, as you mentioned, and the membership, of course, of the 32 NFL teams. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he is. I mean, he does not come to this you know, without a personal axe to grind. I mean, he's been trying to buy um, any number of NFL teams, including the Patriots in the 80s and, and the 90s. Um, you know, for for the better part of four decades, and most of the other NFL owners and and the league office has wanted nothing to do with him as a business partner, and 
a lot of them know him. I mean, he's sort of has been in the rounds of high profile businessman circles for many, many years. I mean, he's been part of the, the furniture and he shows up at games and he's a celebrity. So, I mean, there's going to be some natural exposure. But, um, you know, and I also think that a lot of a lot of owners are Republicans and a lot of Republic, you know, a lot of rich right. owners are giving gave him a lot of money and including you know, several of the owners right now. So uh, having said that, though, I mean, no, I think there's some personal resentment um, involved in him not being allowed to have a team and that's one of Ben's lifelong dreams and and you know like many other endeavors in his life the big boys are people that he perceived as the big boys uh didn't give him the time of day and it's sort of ironic that the ultimate consolation prize for him would be uh well let him be president of the united states instead so now he gets to troll from the sidelines you read jeff perlman's book I haven't, but I hear it's excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I spoke to Jeff uh, on one of these podcasts, as a matter of fact, about mm-hmm. a month ago, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, he delves into it, uh, you know, with even yeah. more rigor and, and detail, just specifically oh, yeah, sure. on how he impacted the USFL. Which I don't know if you heard, but Jeff is a is the biggest oh, yeah. USFL fan I have ever met in my life. I know, right? I mean, things have been a little slow lately, right? For the last maybe what thirty-three <laughs> years or something. But yeah, no, I I, I heard it's a really good book, and yeah. um, I've run into Jeff a couple times. He seems like a really good guy, and I like his writing, so I'm definitely planning on picking it up. Okay, let's get to Tom Brady. Um, he, let's, yeah, let's. Uh, Tom Brady got back to you in the summer of 2014 after a couple of what, more than a couple yeah. of tries of getting a hold of him. Yeah, I mean, it was it was mostly through Don. Uh, Don Yee, his yeah, agent, right. and um, yeah, I mean, we Don and I would like talk maybe once or twice a year, and I would just sort of throw out there that um, you know I have this side hobby which is football, and and I'd like to write a football piece for the Times Magazine, which is where where I work, and and he uh, you know he said that that Tom likes to occasionally step outside the the football uh, comfort zone and and sort of talk to people who don't really normally operate in his world, so you know. After a couple of years, and obviously, you know, we all had day jobs. I mean, it's not like we were all waiting by the phone. But Don said, "Hey, uh, you want to come meet him?" And uh, yeah, our our brief, but but you know, sort of fascinating friendship sort of took light from there. And um, yeah, so I basically talked to him on and off um, for much of the 2014-15 season, and you know, kept in touch a little bit with him, and, and also certainly his family and a lot of his friends over the years. So, yeah, Tom was like my original jump-off point into football, and um, a year later, I, I did a similar story on Roger Goodell, although I didn't um, never rooted for Roger Goodell and didn't really have the same urge or, or <laughs> desire to talk to him, but it sort of worked out that way. But that gave me an entree into the league itself and to Park Avenue and a lot of the owners who who I got to know. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, like like a lot of books, it started out as two big magazine pieces, and it kind of my interest. And um, and then I decided that I, there was enough for a book, and I wanted to sort of keep digging. And uh, and this this is the result. So um, yeah, but Tom was the jumping off point. That's what I kind of figured. And got to ask you what it was like inside the TB12 lair. Uh, well, I went to, a, I was in a couple of them. Um, one, the one in New in York Brooklyn. and then one in Brookline. Yeah. He, um, you know, they're basically really nice, rich guy houses. I mean, um, I mean, the, the Brookline one was, when I was there, it was 
like probably about ninety five percent done. There was still some construction going on um, around the the edges a little bit, but um, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, yeah, very well lit. I mean, anyone who saw the um, the Tom versus Time documentary, yes. I mean, there's a lot of inside shots of the house. I mean, that's that's what it looked like. Um, and you know, Tom is just like a, a really you know well dressed guy puttering around the house a lot, and that's where we talked. Did you get a sense from him that he still has a passion for the game? Because it's one thing, look, yeah. and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, Mark. It's one thing to sure. hear him talk publicly about he'd love to play mm-hmm. till he's 45. He's never felt better. He's never felt this great this late in the season. And he said that many, yeah. many times. Uh, he's yeah, you know, felt stronger mm-hmm. as he has gotten older. Um, but yeah. do you get a sense from him that the, the passion still burns? Because I think some people watched Tom versus Time last year toward the yeah. end and, and really wondered if it was there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. I mean, first of all, I think last year was an unusually tough year for him, and we'll see how this one ends up. But I mean, I think between, um, you know, the Garoppolo trade and, and that, uh, ESPN story, you know, that sort of laid out a lot With of the Alex. friction between Belichick and Kraft and, and, and Brady and Alex Guerrero. I mean, and, and, you know, that story, you know, rang very, very true to me. And, you know, a lot of my own independent reporting certainly underscored that. And so, yeah, I think last year was a pretty unusually tough year. They lost in the Super Bowl um, in a pretty tough fashion. Um, so I think, you know, that I don't think that's an outlier, though. I mean, I think, look, I, one thing I learned about Tom, and I think I lay this out in the book pretty well, is he knows 100% fully what's going on. I mean, he is not as certainly innocent and certainly not as, um, let's just say, um, non-ruffling of feathers as he is in public. I mean, this guy, no, he's a very good businessman. He knows himself really well. He knows the players really well. I mean, players like Robert Kraft, Jonathan Kraft, um, you know, Bill Belichick, you know, Roger Goodell. I mean, he, he knows, he, he has a full appreciation for the absurdity of the world that he operates in as a famous sports star. Um, and, you know, that, that, you know, relates to the league he plays in, the team he plays in, the market he plays in, and just sort of the weird celebrity fra- um, fame world he, he operates in. So, um, look, I, I would take, what he's saying now about wanting to play till he's 45 at, you know, at some face value, but I also think that he's fully aware that there are a lot of variables, including health, including family. And, um, you know, he also reserves the right to change his mind. So, I mean, he certainly looked um, somewhat on the fence on a few occasions during the last off season. What is he more likely to be a CEO of TB12 and uh, founder of it or president of the United States or the U S Senator? <laughs> uh, I would say definitely the former. I would say almost definitely. I mean, I think the the latter is um, is pretty much impossible at this point. Um, I mean, the problem is he'd have to run for that. I don't think he'd want to run for it. No, I, I mean, I think he he was very intrigued by politics for a while. I mean, he, um, he you know he's talked about. In fact, just the other day after uh, George. Bush 41 on WEI he talked about this, um, talked about playing golf with, with Bill Clinton and George Bush 41 up in Kennebunkport in like 2006, I think it was. And I remember when I was in his house in Brookline, um, he didn't have a lot of books on his shelf, and it might be just because he was still moving in, but two of the books he had were uh, Bill Clinton's autobiography and George Bush 41's book of letters. So, um, and there was like three other books. So that was, I mean, those were two, but I also think... I remember um, I, I, Trump, I, I happened to write about 
uh, then candidate Trump right after I wrote about Brady and Trump kept saying, you got to call my friend Tom Brady. You got to call me. And so finally I emailed Tom because, you know, Trump wouldn't stop, you know, urging me to, to like get a quote from Tom Brady. Right. I said, look, I know you don't want to play here, but like, I assume you don't want to play, but like Trump keeps saying, I should try to get a quote from you. Uh, what say you? And he said something like, you know, I've learned plenty about politics in the last eight or nine months. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to stand down on this one. Um, and you know, politics in that context was, I think deflate gate cause it was, he was talking about league politics, but then he got kind of a, a rude awakening on how, um, how toxic, you know, actual politics can be in the next couple of years when he's, he's immediately been linked to Donald Trump and, and that brings with it a whole lot of baggage. So I was in the locker room and I was there when that, mm-hmm. uh, MAGA, make a, make America great again, yes. red hat was in his locker and I noticed it and, um, the like, original, I, the original incident, the original incident. And I remember yeah. to myself rolling my eyes and going, Oh God, mm-hmm. uh, he, does he not? Mm-hmm. Cause what I, what struck me about that, Mark, uh, was yeah. the fact that he is the most self-aware person I have ever met in sports by far. Yeah. And I just, you could see what was coming, and I'm just surprised that he would let that hat. He would let it happen, yeah. He would let it happen, right? Yeah, no, he, that is like a bit of a blind spot. I mean, I, I think he is self-aware, but I also think that, and he told me this once, I mean, he, he, he has a, a naive, naive strain about him. Um, he said this, and I think he said this to me right before Deflategate happened. Um, he said, and I think I quote this in the book, he said, um, Kraft is always telling him, that he's naive. Um, you know, Robert is always telling him that he's naive. There's like a, a strain about him that trusts people too easily. And I, you know, I don't know. It will certainly deflate gate, probably knock some of that right out of him. But, um, I do think that this is just, this is a topic that was so alien to him that he just probably didn't see it through or didn't think it through. And it's like, Oh, it's just a hat. And I'm focused on, um, you know, <laughs> improving my agility in the pocket by like eight, billionth of a, of a of a tenth of a second or you know or something like that so yeah i mean but you could yeah you could sort of see how these things are going to like get blown out of proportion almost immediately okay deflate gate uh i will tell you was the most ridiculous story i've covered in my quarter century covering boston sports and oh, no me, doubt it was really an indication to me mark how badly the other 31 teams wanted to make Bob Kraft, Bill Belichick, and Brady himself suffer. I, maybe that's really yeah. simplifying it, but to me that's no, what it was true. all about. Because you know full well that that story sure. would have ended had the NFL come down with a million-dollar fine, taken two draft picks, and called it a day. But that's not oh, yeah. that wasn't their intent. No, I mean, it, I, well, it was nonsense for a lot of on a lot of levels. But you know, I, I wouldn't. I mean, yes, you can say the other thirty-one teams wanted this to happen, and they did. But I mean, don't don't absolve the executioner here, which is the league. I mean, you know, Roger Goodell works for them, and he's always saying, you know, hey, I work for everyone. I work for the fans. I work for the players. I work for the for the owners. But you know, I work for the, the good of the game. But no, I mean, I, I think that's sort of where that all started. And I think it was ridiculous. I think it was selective enforcement. And I'm obviously preaching to the converted here. But I think when you put it in light of just his complete inability to deal with, say, like, the domestic violence problem, the, the idea that, like, they can just sort of 
let you know TMZ you know make one phone call or whatever they did and maybe write a small check and get their Ray Rice elevator video or the Kareem Hunt, Hunt. Um, right. you know hallway video and you know and you know they can't lift a finger to do that and yet they can lift um, you know they can spend tens of millions of dollars to try to see if a minuscule amount of air pressure might have been you know removed from a football and someone was generally aware of whatever BS they threw out there so no I mean it's it's complete and utter nonsense. But if you think about it, um, and I don't know if they're this calculated to, to, to think this through, but um, it's a reality show, and this, this story dominated a couple of off-seasons, and everyone loves to, to knock down the bully, and you know, the, the Patriots make a pretty appealing villain if you're trying to, like, um, you know, get eyeballs around the league. So, you know, unfortunately, Tom's reputation, I think, very unfairly had to suffer, and I think the teams did, and, and um, look, you know, we won the Super Bowl the next year. So, uh, but yeah, that, I mean, I think that that was definitely an eye opener into how the league works and how cynical they can be. Speaking with Mark Leibovich, outstanding New York Times writer and author of Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times. Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about the future of journalism. If you haven't seen it by now, here's your chance to join a sports revolution. It's called The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash patsbeat, all lowercase, and sign up now for 40% off. That's theathletic.com slash patsbeat, all lowercase, for your first subscription to The Athletic for less than $3 a month. I was reading Jeff Howe's terrific film breakdown of the uh, Sunday win over the Minnesota Vikings. And there's Matt Chatham's great weekly insight to the X's and O's. This is information and analysis you can't get anywhere else. The Athletic is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. The model is simple. No ads, no pop-ups. No autoplay videos. Readers subscribe for authentic, in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their teams inside and out. Again, go to theathletic.com slash patsbeat, all lowercase. Again, that's theathletic.com slash patsbeat for 40% off. Subscribe now and be part of the future of sports journalism. Speaking again with Mark Leibovich, author of a must-read book for any NFL or Patriots fan, Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times. Before we get to Robert Kraft, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Kareem Hunt and Reuben Foster. I know you mentioned it right before uh, the break there. Two ugly, ugly storylines. Do you think either mm-hmm. will see the light of day again, either player uh, in the NFL? Well, let's see. Uh, as I, as we were on break here, um, I was just reading Twitter because, you know, that's, that's what, what we all uh, do. That's what we do. I just lost it. Anyway, J- Jerry Jones said today on the Dallas, some Dallas radio station that he was watching this very, very closely. Uh, of course, I read this to mean, um, you know, hey, he, <laughs> you know, could, could, you know does, does, does Dallas need like a backup to Zeke Elliott? I don't know. I, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me if, if, um, got another shot. Um, one because he's much younger than Ray Rice compared to like twenty yeah. eight. Yeah, he was he was probably late twenties. Yeah, something like that. I mean, he had a lot. He had, obviously has a lot less wear and tear. He's also probably a better player. I mean, who knows? We had I, look. It, it's it's a mess. Um, it wouldn't shock me at all if um, you know a team signed him. And look, I mean, the Redskins. Signed Reuben Foster last week, and and he arguably, I mean, he's got he had more. I mean, you know, he, he's a pretty bad apple. He's not as probably good a player as Kareem Hunt. So uh, it, it's a mess, and and you know, it, it's uh, it, it certainly wouldn't shock me. Okay, let me ask you a better question. 
That is, are you surprised that given the climate in the NFL against domestic violence, that mm-hmm. these stories keep cropping up in this day and age after all of the attention the last four to five years on it? I'm not surprised if they keep – no, because, I mean, look, you have a population of players, and, and you know, they, I think they're probably less likely to commit the acts of domestic violence in the population at large. I mean, the league will tell you that, but um, – these are very high-profile people, and the league um, has a real knack for screwing these things up. And you know, because there is video out there, and because there's a TMZ out there, the league effectively has competition for shedding light on these things. And when it's not the league that sheds light on these things, they look really, really bad. So, I mean, it's a weird situation they find themselves in. But no, I mean, I think that. There's any number of media entities that would love to do the NFL's, you know, very, very shoddy work for them when it comes to bringing these things to light. And I think, you know, TMZ, you know, has done a great job. I mean, in in a weird way, just like gathering awareness and, and doing things that the NFL hasn't been able to do. So, yeah, so I'm not surprised and I'm sure there'll be another one. And I also think that, that they'll, they'll screw it up at the league again. Okay. Um, I want you to characterize Robert Kraft for me. Um, okay. Um, Robert uh, Kraft. It's an open-ended question intentionally. Yeah. Because okay. there are a lot of different ways I think you could go with this uh, in, sure. in some ways that I've read in the book that are not yeah. positive at all. And there are other ways that make him, you know, seem like, you know, a savior and a, a genius yeah. in New England. Yeah, I don't think he's a savior. I don't think he's a genius, and I don't think he's a bad guy either. I mean, I, I think, like a lot of people, it's complicated. I mean, I, I had the chance to spend a fair amount of time with him. Um, I like him. He's very familiar to me. I also, um, you know, as a fan of the team, I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, one, him saving the team from moving in the early 90s or mid-90s, whenever it was, and, um, and hiring Bill Belichick and doing all the things that, you know, have made fans of the team happy over the last two decades so um in that sense i'm grateful i mean he's um he's a politician i think he's he's a very aggressive businessman i think he is extremely i mean i I think the the characterization of him is um needy is is accurate i mean i think he probably compared to certainly brady and belichick cares more about getting credit and getting sort of attention um for you know what he has done than than the others but i think look i i find him and someone who deals with politicians for a living i i find him fairly transparent in um his you know and in how he he deals with people and and look i enjoy talking to him and and partly uh, I think you know we had a familiarity with each other just because I'm I'm local and I root for his team and so forth and and he's a pretty easy guy to talk to but um, I don't think he's particularly well loved around the league I think he's respected but I think that that there is a fair amount of resentment for him and it's not all because of his uh, success on the field I, I think people see him as a very political guy and um, you know I think as he would say jealousy is a very very powerful force in this in this league and in this world and I think. He's probably been a victim of some of that too. Needy Bob Kraft, as uh, you make, make you and uh, Dan Shaughnessy make mention. That's yeah, that's Shaughnessy's thing. Yeah, yeah I it think is. it's accurate. I mean, I think he is needy. I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't think he's. I don't think it's a something to be ashamed of. I think a lot of people are needy, especially in public, but or in public positions. But yeah, I mean, I would say that that's an accurate, an accurate descriptor. 
Okay, go back to Roger Goodell for a moment here, mm-hmm. um, Mark, uh, talking with Mark Leibovich, uh, outstanding author of The Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. We've heard all the negatives about Roger Goodell, but I want you to give me mm-hmm. three reasons that make him an effective commissioner beyond being a simple yes man for the membership. <laughs> uh, three? <laughs> yeah, if you can. Uh, um, you know what? Give me um, – just give me a couple of reasons uh, right off the top of your head. Three might take some yeah. thinking. All right, let me give let me give you three. Um, you know, he he makes money for the owners. That's one. He makes money for the owners. That's two. <laughs> and he makes money for the owners. That's three. No, but that's I would say that like those are the top one through ten. But let me. Okay, I mean, I guess let's see. I mean, he is. Um, I guess, I mean, I guess he kind of knows the game. I mean, he played in high school. Um, he's been around him. He's, he's fun to talk football with. I mean, I talked to him a couple times and he clearly obviously knows the game really deeply and, and can talk to a pretty knowledgeable fan like myself. So that, that's, I guess, speaks well of him. Um, yeah, I guess number three would be, uh, well, so if making money is one and that's two, um, number three would be, Look, I mean, he knows how politicians operate. I mean, he's the son of a Republican senator from New York, uh, Charles Goodell. He is very, very cautious. He knows how to, like, shake hands. He knows how to slap backs. And, and that's a really, really important part of the job when you're dealing with 32, um, you know, largely you know, wealthy and all the wealthy and also often very needy and, and very, very sort of, um, I would say calculating, um, bosses and those are the NFL owners. So, yeah, I mean, so politician knows the game and, um, makes money. So tell me what it was like on Jerry Jones's bus. And for those wondering what I'm talking about, buy the book. <laughs> yeah, by the book. It's, 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 it's not a pretty sight. No, look, I interviewed Jerry Jones on the Dallas Cowboys bus in, I guess it was May of 2017, and, uh, not for the faint of heart or, uh, or liver is that play, is that thing. So after about an hour, he, uh, said, you want a shot of scotch? And, you know, it was like one o'clock in the afternoon, and, uh, I was like, sure, you know, I don't want to be an ungracious guest. So, um, by shot, he meant, a like 24 ounce you know Dallas Cowboys souvenir plastic oh cup <clears throat> filled with ice and filled with with Johnny Walker blue which is you know probably goes about $300 a bottle and he's got a whole a whole case stacked you know stocked with them on the bus and um they were refilled you know a few times over the course of what became a very very sloppy few hours like four or five hours and um i don't remember much about it except that uh, according to the tape recorder it was quite revealing um and that was working really well so yeah you'll have to yeah that that's it's more more fully rendered in i think chapter i think it's, it's called this man the, the name of the chapter is this man's liver belongs in canton and uh it's not referring to me it's referring to jerry so that's uh yeah, so there was the truths were revealed. Let's put it that way. Okay, I, some got, uncomfortable one. I've got to ask you this, and we'll wrap it up mm-hmm. here. Speaking with Mark Leibovich, the um, outstanding and hilarious uh, author of Big Game: The NFL in Dangerous Times. You are a political writer, and I've got to mm-hmm. tell you, Mark, I've always thought the marriage of politics and sports was a disaster waiting to happen. And mm-hmm. I get that sports in America has always had an element of social justice to it. 
but I think mm-hmm. I speak for millions of Americans who just want sports the way it used to be. And I know, look, yeah. I'm 52, and I mm-hmm. try to be hip. I've got two daughters, one in college, mm-hmm. one in sophomore in high school. I try to be hip to today's culture, but mm-hmm. I'm just burned out of preaching. And do you? Yeah. This is a long-winded way of saying: Do you ever get the sense that fans also are fed up with that? Oh, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think, look, I mean, the NFL has always marketed football as a means of escape, right? And, and you know, escape your day-to-day problems, escape your, you know, your work and, and so forth. But, look, politics is would probably be, you know, one or one A of the things that people don't want to have to think about when they're um, sitting down to watch a, a football game on Sunday. But, you know, as we've learned, you yep. know, repeatedly, it's, it's hard, it's hard to escape. And, and, and look, it's in, I also would say, and, and a number of athletes I talked to, a lot of NFL players I talked to would say that, um, you know, this is not a time that kind of lends itself to escape. And it's not just because of what Colin Kaepernick, you know, does or doesn't do or whether he's signed or isn't signed or whatever Donald Trump says or doesn't say. I mean, I think, um, you know, like it or not, these are very, very um, politically aware times. I think you kind of don't have a choice on the matter. And, and look, it's not, um, I think, you know, most people, you know, the reason the NFL is getting, you know, record ratings again this year is because people love football. Um, but I also think that, that, and I've said this before, but you know, I can't say it enough, I think the game in, indoors and is so popular because it is an amazing game and it's just really, really fun to watch and it just is a perfect TV um, sport, and I also think it's in spite of the people who run it. And and look, I, I don't think I don't have a sense the people who run the NFL have any sense of the the moment we're living in, both culturally and politically. And um, yeah, that includes things like domestic violence and and sort of the you know the, all the the racial issues that that have been arisen around the Trump presidency. And and look, I I think I, I think that sports is still an escape. I just don't think it's as full an escape as it used to be. Right. And I'm curious to get your sense, how many similarities you found writing this book uh, and your previous uh, terrific book, This Town, the story of politics inside the Washington Beltway. How how, how yeah. similar was it? Uh, there was pretty similar, much, much more so than I thought. I mean, I, I wanted to, like I said, I mean, I wanted to write about football to kind of escape the, the swamp that I normally operate in. And you realize pretty soon that, I mean, it's also a swamp. I mean, it's a lot of the sort of same usual suspects. It's kind of a small town in some ways. You know, you get the, the royalty. And you got the, um, you know, the, the generals and Park Avenue, and then you got the players and the gladiators and the fans, and so yeah, you do sort of get a sense that we're all part of the same deal, and that includes the media too, by the way. I mean, the media, um, you know, has a whole band of celebrities that that could probably sign more autographs in the middle of an airport than most Hall of Fame, you know, players or coaches at this point. So and provide golden um, nuggets. Absolutely, man. Yeah, Adam Schefter is the king of nuggets. Yes, he um, is. For, that's chapter three, yeah. I think. Anyway, yeah, reading, gotta re-reading that, but go ahead. Oh no, no, but uh, so anyway, no, I, I think look, it, it is a very, it's a, it's a village in many ways. It's a small town, and um, yeah, a lot of it. I mean, a lot, they're sort of male-dominated, money-dominated, ego-dominated worlds, and um, yeah, the, the similarities were pretty pretty apparent to me um, almost immediately. How can people follow you on social media, and where do you want them to follow you on social media? Um, just, I mean, my Twitter is at Mark Leibovich, um, M-A-R-K-L-E-I-B-O-V-I-C-H. And, um, let's see, 
Uh, yeah, that's Twitter. I mean, I work for the New York Times. I write, you know, for the magazine. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, that that's how you can that's how you can read me and reach me. Your book is outstanding. Actually, not reach me. Read me. Yeah. Read. There you go. I got you. Our, our listeners are smart, Mark. They can figure that out. Uh, <laughs> they control me as long as everyone else. Yeah, get in line. Um, his book, Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times, is an absolute must-read. Football fan uh, or just a fan of American spectacle in general. You like that description there? Fantastic. Keep saying it. I will. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, Trevor. Thanks you're, for having me on. You're very welcome. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. I want to thank our terrific guest, Mark Leibovich, outstanding New York Times writer and author of Big Game, The NFL in Dangerous Times. His book is a New York Times bestseller and available online through Penguin Press. Also want to, of course, thank our great sponsor, The Athletic, for producer Michael Angi, our executive producer, Tommy White, and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriot Speed Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media Podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.